0: morning, church. All right. It is an honor uh, to be back up here again. Don't know why they keep letting me do this, uh, but I would like to extend a special welcome uh, to everyone here this morning, but especially if you are a visitor or a first-time guest, we're just so glad that you chose to be with us this morning, um, whether that's in person or online. Thank you for being here, and thanks to all of you for uh, letting me serve alongside you here on staff At Homewood, Uh, If you don't know who I am, my name is Chris Richardson, and I am the Connections Minister for this faith family. Let's pray together as we start our time this morning. Father, it's good to be here. Uh, It's good to be gathered together as your family. Uh, Just pray that you bless this gathering. I pray that you uh, be with all of us over these next few minutes as we explore what it means to be a family. Uh, What you call us to, what you're challenging us with. And I would pray that you just help me to get out of the way and uh, let you say what you want to say this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for uh, your love and your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So if you have been with us these past few weeks, you know that we are making our way through these next steps of our mission, uh, these seven big ideas on the stage here. And my task this morning uh, is to share with you some ideas on this middle guy, uh, this uh, the importance of finding and living into Christian community, and for me, uh, this week serves as sort of a midpoint in this series, which is sort of helpful because it, it it ties into the way that I think about this subject. Because I believe that the community aspect, the communal aspect, the relationship part of the local church is vital to us achieving what all these seven steps are pushing towards. It's driving towards our mission. Our mission at this church is, is the mission of every church. It's to make and grow followers of Jesus Christ. And it's, this, it's the making and the growing. The making and the growing are by necessity, by, by nature, relational, relationship-based. It's, it's person to person. It's family to family. It's parent to child and on and on. It's people interacting with people. To follow Jesus and to pursue the mission that, that he gave us is by default a community-based endeavor, at least that's what I believe. But I want to set the stage uh, properly this morning. The stage is already nicely set, but, you know, proverbially, because uh, I think it's kind of easy to look at this. This is a very nicely done list of tasks, and it, it would be easy to look at this and to see obligations or more stuff that you have to pack into an already full schedule but that's not what this is and i appreciate Brett he's he's gone out of his way every week to really reiterate that point this is not just a list of things that you've got to do to be right with god in christ fully loved fully accepted adopted chosen something happens our lives begin to change We experience transformation. Scripture often talks about, uses this illustration of fruit and that healthy things, growing things, things that are alive, produce fruit. And for me, that's what these are. These are markers of a a fruitful, healthy life in Christ. They're self-evaluation tools for your spiritual journey. Do you know that you're on a spiritual journey? Are you on one? A life lived in Christ has no neutral gear, I believe. You're you're moving in a direction, and I believe we should be moving forward, growing in our faith and discipling others. And for me, what this list is, what these seven next steps are, are they're helpful for you to figure out, for me to figure out where I am in my journey. So I hope in the coming weeks, as we continue to make our way uh, through this series, that you'll find some time, some space in your life for a little self-inventory, figure out where you are, figure out what your next step is, and dig in. So now we'll actually get to the part I'm supposed to talk about today. So to say it again, I believe that Christian community, finding and living into Christian community, this centerpiece right here um, is, is foundational Um, for the rest of these seven big ideas. And I want to give us three thoughts this morning uh, to think about this week, think about your life and your spiritual growth and where you are and what this church, what the role of this church has to play in all that. Because I believe that, number one, uh, Scripture teaches us from Genesis all the way to Revelation that we were created for community. We're not supposed to do this alone. We're supposed to do this together. Second, I think if we want to if we want a road map, if we want a, want a path, I believe that Scripture shows us that Jesus really modeled this life for us. He showed us the path. And then lastly, you know, dealing with people is complicated, and it's messy, and it can be painful, but I think it's vital to the success and the health of the church, and I think it's so worth it. So number one, created for community. Christianity is alone among the major world faiths uh, that teaches that God is this three-in-one. Very complicated. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. To put it another way, God is community in and of Himself. And from the very beginning of our Bibles, we get this look at the work and the nature of our God. It's this tiny little detail. You may have noticed it. Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us... Make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. I love this. This is like a look into the first ever creative development meeting, or like a brainstorming session, God, preexistent as a fully satisfied, loving community comes together in unity, in community, and acts to create the world and the first people. God is community, and you were birthed out of that loving community, but, but that's not all. Jesus, in his ministry, in his life, and in his sacrifice, invites us into the community that he has shared with the Father and with the Spirit since before time began. I love this prayer. In John 17. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you. He's praying for you right here. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. So that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Whoa. Jesus, in his life and in his sacrifice, is inviting us into this unbelievable, unthinkable relationship that he shares with the Father and with the Spirit. That's a lifetime to process. You're going to take the whole rest of your life to try to really get your mind and your heart around that idea. So keep chewing on it. Let that get down deep into your heart. But don't miss what happens when we live into this type of community. What does the scripture say? It says the world takes notice. It's a proof point for the truth of the gospel when we accept and live into the kind of community that Jesus calls us to. And we're in a weird spot. We, we find ourselves uh, in this weird time in history and, and in time where Jesus has already come. He's established the kingdom of God, He's brought healing uh, and, and forgiveness through His sacrifice. But we have not yet realized our ultimate hope. We're not there yet, we're somewhere in the middle. But if we were created out of loving community in Genesis, and Jesus invites us into that community that he shares with the Father and with the Spirit, just check out how this all comes full circle Uh, at the end of our Bibles in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband, then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. We were, we were created, we were birthed out of a loving community. Jesus invites us to share in the community he has with the Father and with the Spirit by being one with each other and our ultimate reality, where all this is driving towards, is a world in which God is going to dwell directly with his people in unity and in community. Is from the beginning to the very end, you were created for community. So, if we can believe that, if y'all are going to track with me and keep going, if, if, if you can believe that we were created for this, how are we going to do it? It's hard living with people. Lucky for us, I think Jesus was our first small group leader, and we can see how he did it and do our best to try to follow along. Uh, throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus intentionally invested his incredibly valuable, his incredibly precious time into the lives of a trusted group of followers and friends, and just three quick things I want to pull out about the life and the ministry of Jesus that I hope can be helpful to us as we explore what this means here. And, and first, we see that Jesus was an inviter. All four gospel accounts have have these stories about Jesus seeking out and inviting people to come and follow him. He called them out, and he didn't he didn't pick the usual suspects either. He didn't pick religious scholars or prominent figures in his community. No, he picked this wildly diverse and supremely unqualified group to come and learn from him. And and it's going to be these people who are going to be trusted to take this precious message to the ends of the earth. And just one example to kind of prove my point here. So we got Jesus got a small group. It's this tight-knit, close group of guys. And in this group, you've got Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. Matthew is in with the Romans. He likes the Romans. He's totally good with the status quo continuing and for them paychecks to keep rolling in. But you also have Simon the Zealot. Everybody know what a zealot is? The zealots were a revolutionary group committed to causing chaos and unrest in order to overthrow the Roman occupiers and reestablish Jewish independence, all in one group. Do you think they agreed on everything? Well, do you? No, probably not, right? You don't have to agree on everything to share the kind of community that we're seeking here. It's our unity in light of our differences, maybe in spite of our differences, that makes what we're doing here so attractive to the outside world. So are you an inviter? Do you have your eyes and your ears open to the people around you? Are you someone who's, who, who is eager to bring people in uh, to your circle, or are you protective of your time and your space and your calendar? And when, and when we talk community, does your mind uh, immediately go to people who look like you, think like you, act like you, agree with you? If it does, expand your circle. It's our differences in unity coming together despite our differences that help us to form this one beautiful body. So Jesus was an inviter. Second, I think we see that Jesus invested into the lives of those around him. We see this pattern in Scripture where Jesus is engaged in this public ministry. He is teaching and healing and traveling around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. But alongside this public ministry— uh, we see that Jesus is intentionally investing his time into teaching this smaller group of followers. I love this because it makes me feel better about myself. It's clear from the text that Jesus' public ministry was often misunderstood. He would preach, and he would proclaim, and then like clockwork, his disciples, his closest friends, who are supposed to know what's going on, they come to him, and they're like, Jesus, we have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, me too. Jesus doesn't really, I mean, sometimes he's, he's kind of like, come on, guys, but he, you know, he doesn't give up on them. He spends intentional time teaching and showing how these truths that he's proclaiming are actually going to work themselves out into their daily lives and in the lives of their community. So I just want to flash forward to today. We got Brett. Brett has 20, 30 minutes once a week to try to share the truth about Jesus and give you some hints as to how that might be playing out into your lives. And if that's all it is, I don't know where that goes. We've got to take what happens on Sunday mornings. We've got to take what we hear on Sunday mornings and spend the other six days of our weeks trying to figure out what that actually means in our lives. And for me, the best way that I've been able to do this is by wrestling with the truths of Scripture in community with other believers. So Jesus was an inviter. Jesus was an investor. And there's a lot more we could say about the life and ministry of Jesus and his community. Uh, But the last little point I want to share here is that we see that Jesus initiates his group into a life of service. Jesus' small group ate together. They walked countless miles, talking, laughing, asking questions. They celebrated together. They mourned together, but the core of their time together as a group was spent in service to others. Has your group gotten stale? Do the the gatherings, do the meetings feel no longer meaningful or valuable to you? Does it feel like a Supper club, that's the the go-to when somebody wants to dog a connect group. They're like, oh, it's just a supper club. These are all symptoms of a group that has become too inwardly focused. And I believe that committing to serving together as a group regularly is a great check to this type of attitude. Jesus loved to sit around the table and share a meal. I love to sit around the table and share a meal, clearly. Clearly. And sitting around the table sharing food with one another is one of the best places to develop deep and meaningful relationships. But the only place that I've found that's better than around a table is in the trenches of service. It's working arm in arm with a brother or sister for the good of others. So let's follow Jesus. Jesus believed in doing life together. He invited people into his life in a real way with all the mess and all the complications that go along with that. He invested in his people, teaching and caring for them with incredible love and patience. And he led by example in initiating them into a life of service. Let's follow Jesus. All right, before we end our time this morning, I just got to address the difficult nature of living in community, the messiness, the stickiness, of actually what it looks like when we try to live this way. If, you've, if you have been in any kind of relationship for more than a few weeks, you know how complicated it can get. I got my problems, you got your problems, and our problems together make new problems, right? But if relationship is tricky, if relationship is messy, Community is way messier because community is not just me and you, but it's me and you and her and him and all these people. It's this web of interconnected lives and all the messed up stuff that goes with that, right? And in this messiness, we see that the world just isn't as it should be. Paul tells us in Romans 5 that sin and brokenness and death, it entered into the world through one man. And we can feel it. We see it. We feel it in everything around us and in ourselves. And he tells us in Romans 8 that everything in us and around us is groaning. I love that illustration. It's groaning. It's yearning. It's looking forward to the day when all this brokenness is going to be healed. But in the meantime, what I've found just in my own life, is that our brokenness is most often directed at other people. The reality of sin and brokenness impact all of our relationships, including but maybe especially within the church, and this can be really painful for us. Maybe you've been hurt by people you trusted or by people that were supposed to be there for you, and honestly, I can't stand up here and tell you it won't happen again. But no matter how messy and painful living a shared life can be, it's worth it and it's vital to the church. Two quick points this morning if we're going to try to navigate the difficult realities of living life together. First, I just think it's incredibly important that we acknowledge our own brokenness and our deep need for love and healing. Folks, it's hard. I know it's hard. It's hard for me. It's hard to be real. It's hard to talk about what's going on in your life. It's hard to share. And it's even harder when the expectation, when, when what we see around us is that everything's fine. Yeah, I'm fine, you're fine. We're fine, we're fine, right? If everything's not fine, it's not fine. We don't talk about it being not fine. Our pride and our desire to look good on the outside, to, to put on a good show, It it causes our vision to be skewed. It causes our vision to be directed at everybody else's problems. But if I start with me, if I remember the tremendous, amazing, overwhelming love that God showed me in my own sin and my own brokenness, then maybe I've got the right frame to look at you and extend the same grace to you that was shown to me. We acknowledge our brokenness. Is that going to fix everything? Probably not. So what do we do? we Are just going to give up on each other and move on, fly solo, find other people? I think we follow Jesus and we lean into living life together, even when it's hard. Maybe especially when it's hard. Jesus was a busy guy. Scripture tells us that. Son of God, power to heal and repair the brokenness, forgive sins, establish the kingdom of God, and he's got about three years to do this. It's not long. I imagine he was intentional with his time. And what do we see Jesus doing? He assembles this group of people around him who, who even at the very end of his life, they've been with him this whole three years, they should know what's going on, at very best are confused about what he's up to. But do we see that he, he gives up on them? He moves on. Does he finally throw in the towel? No, he sticks with him all the way to the end. Uh, this section of scripture in John thirteen through seventeen is some of some of my favorites. It's so beautiful, um, and for me, it really highlights the point I'm trying to make here. At this point, Jesus is just days from being arrested. His public ministry is basically finished. And what do we see him do? This is, this, is, this is the final countdown. This is all he's got left. He gathers together those who are closest to him, spend time together, to eat a few more times, to tell them what they really needed to know before he was going to leave them. The ultimate expression of Jesus' love for his friends and for you And for me was his willingness to die for him. And there is this interesting story, there's an interesting little detail in in a story in Luke 4 uh, that jumped out to me over the past few weeks. Luke 4, uh, you have to back up. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. Uh, He's back in his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue because he was always going to the synagogue. And he gets the scroll of Isaiah and begins to read this prophetic passage that talks about what the messiah is going to be like what what work is he going to do and then he kind of really dramatically i feel in my own mind rolls it back up and gives it to the attendant and there's this pause and he says i'm the guy right like it's me i'm here now and they don't they're not really excited about that they don't rush to him and say oh we've been waiting hundreds of years for you you're here No, they are enraged. They drag him to the edge of town, intending to throw him over a cliff. And this isn't like, hey, we're going to run this guy out of town kind of thing. The implication here is that they're going to stone him. The way you stone somebody was you throw him off a high cliff, and then you throw rocks at him until they're dead. There's murder that's going on here. And then it says Jesus just passes through the crowd and goes on his way. That's a weird story. I can't explain to you how he did that or the mechanics of how this happened, but what's clear to me in this passage is that Jesus can do whatever he wants to do, naturally or supernaturally. So if Jesus can do whatever he wants to do, if he could just walk away at any time, isn't it powerful when he chooses to stay? You look at all the difficulty he faced from every angle, from friends, from enemies, from the powers that be, and to know that he could just walk away at any time, that means something. That means something to me. In the worst moments of his life, he chose to stay, committed to community, committed to relationship, committed to the Father, committed to the kingdom. He didn't run away when things got hard. He stayed. And I hope we'll do the same. So, I want to end up where we started. Uh, we've got these seven big ideas, these seven next steps of our mission. And wherever you are on your journey, are you on a journey? Wherever you are on your path, you're going to find more growth, more fulfillment, more maturity if you choose to engage each of these as a part of a committed, Devoted Christian community. If worshiping regularly means 90 minutes on a Sunday to you, you can probably pull that off without much help. I have pulled that off without needing anybody else. But if worshiping regularly looks like this Romans 12, Justin Mundy shared about this a couple weeks ago, if it looks like this all-encompassing, Everything I got, all day, every day, if that's the type of worship you're wanting to pursue in your life, you can't do that alone. If you want to live differently, folks, it's hard to go against the cultural grain. You Want to know what makes that just a little bit easier? Swimming up that stream is if if you lock arms with like-minded people who are committed to one another and to Jesus. If I tell my one God can do incredible things. That's, that is a bold thing to tell your one. And God can change families and circumstances and have a generational impact just because I decide to tell my one. But what if 300 of us, 400 of us, 500, 600 tell our one? That's kingdom math. That's exponential growth. Folks, we just we're supposed to do this together. We are simply better together. I need you, and I hope you need me. If you're feeling disconnected or disenchanted with this faith family, I hope that you will consider uh, leaning in and, and getting plugged into some type of small group community here at Homewood. Maybe for you, uh, it's joining one of our 20-plus Connect groups. If you're a first-time visitor here, that's probably a good place to start. It's a great place to meet new people and, and to develop deep and meaningful relationships Maybe you're ready to step up and lead a group. We're going to train you. We're going to support you, encourage you. And I know that if we want our church to grow and thrive, we need more people who are willing to say yes to leadership. Maybe you're ready to start serving on a ministry team. Maybe you're already in a connect group, but you're ready to go deeper, to be more intentional, to serve together. Wherever you are this morning, I want to be a resource and a help to you. Guys, can you put the QR code back up? It's also in the pew racks in front of you. I like that's a very church word, pew rack. Uh I added a few questions uh, this week that are related to this topic uh, on our online connection card. If you want to get plugged in, please let us know on that online connection card and we'll be following up on those uh, in the coming weeks. Folks, it's a two-way street. I can only help you be as connected as you want to be. But please know that I'm here and I'm committed to helping you find your place in this family. The entire trajectory of my life was changed for the better when I said yes to sharing life with people of this church. I'll always be grateful for that, and your life is not my life, but I invite you to explore what that could mean for you. Now, I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is.